All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. I think we need something like intro like that where you sure. sing. You sing because I think I we need the- to hire somebody who's who would do an awesome job of of doing it, doing a little jingle for us. Who could sure. do it? Do you, do you have any music ed colleagues? Maybe, a, maybe uh, we should. Yeah, I think we. I have some music f- folks that we could effort. We could get. Eff- in we and- could effort. Look at you. <laughs> Very biz dev of you to say effort. We're gonna that's effort. Our, that's our role. Yeah. I'm gonna effort that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're gonna effort you that know, up. Th- this is. I. I know this is the the show before we actually start talking about this stuff. But you know, one of my favorite memories is. When we ended up at where I think where were we in Indianapolis? We were yes doing karaoke. Do you remember oh, the karaoke? I do. <laughs> the karaoke yes. night. Yeah, that was like you know what twenty years ago, fifteen years yeah. ago. Yeah. We ended up at a karaoke bar. Yeah, mm. Greg Kelly singing karaoke. Yes. I wow. Don't think, I don't think he uh, would want to have us reveal that about him, but we. But you just did. I did. I outed him. We could out other people that were yes. also karaoke with us, but there were others. Yeah. yeah I, I, I don't have very many karaoke experiences. Um, no. So no, I certainly but, not public ones. Every once in a while, like I've been to a party where somebody's like got a karaoke machine and is like, Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? Yeah. I don't think I, in those occasions, I don't believe I've ever done it. I, uh, I don't have a mellifluous singing oh. voice. Look at you. Thank you. Thank you. Johnny. The, you you want to try and say that one? No, 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 <laughs> no I, I do not. No, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge Ali. We should have a whole episode well, of that where, where I just send you a list of words and you just have to pronounce them. That's great. That's <laughs> that would be fun. No, be fun, no fun and, for me and the audience. Yes. No. I, what is he trying to say? <laughs> what, 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 what word is that? Anthropogeomorphology? What? <laughs> This he's an educated guy. That's funny. That's great. Hey, there is no association between ability to pronounce words and, and intelligence. Well, well, thank you. I don't even know what is associated with intelligence, frankly. That's but that's a show for a different day. That's not it what is. we're talking about today. We're not going to talk about IQ. Yeah, today we're going to talk about sense making, which we've talked a little bit about before. But yes. I think we wanted to take a little bit of different perspective on it because you and I are working with uh, developing some some professional development for teachers across the state. And we're right at the beginning stages of this thing. And we're spending some time thinking about like, how do we teach sense-making? Like, and how do we, you know, show teachers, like how do we get them to do the sense-making about sense-making, right? Like, so it's kind of, it's very meta. It's a meta sort of. It always is in teacher ed. It's always, it's always meta. Yeah. Because you're always teaching the teachers about teaching. It's like when you try to explain your job to somebody, right? You're yeah. like, hey, you know, what do you do? And I'm, well, I teach teachers. Huh. What's that? I don't yeah. explain that to me. No, that's just really it. There's no explanation necessary. It's just that you you got to get your head around that. And and I think the challenge, and this is one of the conversations you and I just had recently, was that how do we, because we usually anchor this to some sort of like experience, right? We were some sort of phenomenon. And then sure. we try to, and so how do we do that with teachers? Like, so do we have them um, look at a science phenomenon and then we, you know, do like actually walk them through the process of that, like we would with students, or do we give them some sort of lesson that they see where that is being used? And then we use that as the phenomenon. 
And and I yeah, think the answer is yes. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> because I think yes, yes is the correct answer. Uh, because we want to do both. We want to yeah. one show them. I think the the power of uh, there's power in both, right? There's some sure. you know different, different kinds of power. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that the one when you give them a a phenomenon just like you know you would with students, I think it's good to get, you know, teachers, educators in that role of, hey, I have to make sense of this too. I have to talk through things. I have right. to, you know, so that they can see what that is experience is like for a, a student in their classroom and sure. how and how challenging it can be. Mm-hmm. Because I think that most teachers will go, oh, well, that is, that's momentum. That's a momentum yeah. thing, right? Yeah. That's the ideal gas law. I got that sorted. It's, it's, sure. I'm just going to PV equals NRT. I'm going to write that down and I'm, we're all sorted, right? Like I got that explanation down. But I, th- I think the challenge with it is that um, with professional development is like in a classroom environment, we, we work to develop that trust. We work to do, develop the trust in, in that learning environment. So it's a safe space for that sense making to happen. And the state, like mistakes are valued. Right. Um, and and in professional development experiences, sometimes that can be more humbling than some people are comfortable with. Yeah. And, and I think, though, that that's sort of the I mean, one of the reasons we do, I think, both of those things that you've described is, you know, you do the science part. You do the having teachers explain science phenomenon part for the reasons that you said, and also because they need to understand that the way that they know science and the way that they think about teaching science is not effective in helping prepare people to, to do this kind of explanatory work. Like it, you knowing a bunch of definitions is not going to help you explain right. a real phenomenon very well. So part of it is having them have that experience and recognize like, Oh, if this is the goal, if the goal is to be able to do this sort of explanation, I can't teach the way I currently teach because I am a product of that environment and I teach that way. And yet I still can't do this explanatory work. Right. So, um, so I think that that helps them make that transition from, Oh, wow. That, you know, Oh, wouldn't it be nice if you taught this way to actually, if, if this is the outcome, if we agree that this is the outcome and that's a tricky thing too, but if we agree that this is the outcome, getting there is not going to happen through the traditional way that I think about science teaching. It just can't. Um, So that explanatory quotient thing that I talk about. Yeah. And I think to your point, I think the other thing that's really important about that is as facilitators of that professional development, one of the things we have to show teachers is how do you push people's ideas in robust ways, hard, like really force them to be clear and and articulate their understandings to the best of their ability without creating an environment of authoritarianism or untrust, right? Distrust. And and that I think is also incredibly important because it, you can, this can turn ugly, right? Like you can humiliate kids in the context of asking them to explain something because there's so many ways that kids can be wrong, you know, quote unquote wrong, non-canonical in their explanations, or even just not having particularly good reasoning, because the point of talking through this is for them to develop that reasoning. 
And so if what you do is they reason about something wrong and you're like, ah, that's really a stupid idea. Um, you know, and you don't even have to say that you can do it in all sorts of implicit ways. Right. But, um, but I think that's the other value of doing it with them is to show like, I can push you hard on your ideas without humiliating you as a person or making you feel like you're dumb, but make you feel as if you're part of a community that's trying to understand something that's too complicated for any individual one of us to just work on, on out on our own, that we need each other to talk through this process and figure this thing out. So, so this is a, you know, while I've been, you know, doing work with, with uh, the, NGSS and but this will be the first time I'm like actually doing professional development around this with mm-hmm. teachers. So I'm going to sort of lean on you a little bit. Um, like what are, what are some of the things that you do? Like you and I did some you know professional development for those teachers in Philadelphia you know a few months ago, mm-hmm. but most of it was just you know getting them to understand the actual standards yeah. and how the, the standards 10, were different. Yeah, absolutely. It was that kind of thing. It wasn't engaging them in the process of sense making, right? And this yep. is going to be different. And so, you know, help me understand like what are some of the things that we can do with them to help, you know, foster that trust trusting environment so that it's a safe space for them. Cuz I mean, clearly, I mean if we're just going to have them, I think our plan is not to just have them for a day workshop or a couple hour workshop, sure. but to engage with some of these folks over longer periods of time. But I think we have to be intentional, right? We have to be intentional with, you know, fostering the kind of environment so that, you know, we're not just flying in and again from the ivory tower and saying, okay, this is the way to do this. And, oh, you're not doing it this way. Or you thought your, your explanation is this, you know, because we're going to get people on their heels pretty quickly, yeah. you know, because, you know, they're, they're coming from their schools and maybe they're the AP physics teacher or the AP, you know, whatever biology teacher. And they have some sort of like, you know, expertise, mm-hmm. you know, already. And this is a different type of teaching. And yep. so we, we have to really create an environment in which that kind of discovery and questioning is okay. Yeah. No. And I think, I think that, you know, the, your, your point about it being meta is, is well taken. And I think that's exactly part of the process, right? Like we talk about an AST when we're, we're having kids learn science, there's some anchoring phenomenon, and then there's a bunch of other experiences that help them understand that. And then we return to that anchoring phenomenon. And you can think about teacher professional development in a similar way, in the sense that that initial experience that they have with trying to explain that initial phenomenon can become like an anchoring event for them because then you say, okay, well, you just saw that happening. Um, but you don't know what was happening in the sense of you, you haven't taught that way before and you probably haven't learned that way before. And so, and, and so, and hopefully you were in, in the explanation part and only a little bit sort of thinking with your teacher brain about what's going on here. But now what we can do is break down that phenomenon and help you develop language to explain what was going on there so that you're better at engaging in that process in the future, which is exactly analogous to what we do with kids, right? You know, you give yeah. them a phenomenon, then you give them a ser- these series of experiences, but each of those experiences is me- meant to build up a concept that will eventually get a normative name, potential energy. But in the moment, you don't want them worried about what kind of energy this is. You just want them, you want them worrying about the reasoning. I think the same thing is true with the teachers. Like, okay, let's take this thing that you just did 
let's break it down and think about how do you create an environment like this? Because it doesn't happen just because you throw something out there and ask kids to explain it. That it, It's not that simple. It's a complex problem. It requires a lot of planning and thoughtfulness. And it requires, frankly, a lot of practice. You're not going to be good at it the first time. And that's going to be scary and hard because you've been teaching for 15 years and you're probably pretty good at what you do. Yeah. But this is not what you do. And, and what we don't want you to do is say, this is what you do and you're done because we've talked about that before. So this idea of, of <clears throat> you have to challenge folks enough that they have to surface their own thinking um, and, and interrogate it, but you can't challenge them so much that you take away part of their identity and make them feel like they're not a good science teacher. Cause that, that will, you know, in the same way that in these classrooms, we don't want kids to feel stupid. We don't want yeah. them to feel like they're not science people because they can't explain this thing. That's not the goal. The goal is how do I put enough pressure on you so that you're forced to really articulate and reason through your thinking rather than just rest on your assumptions because, you know, back to Dewey, unexamined beliefs, not a good thing. Like you need to get that stuff out and on the table so that we can investigate it as a community. And, and, and that's how those ideas improve. Friend of the show, John Dewey. Friend of the show, John Dewey. U, U of M, I don't know if he's an alumni. I was going to give him a shout out as a U of M alumni, like, mm. me, like me, but right. I, can't, I, can't, I don't think I can do that. No, you can't. He taught I mean, me you, though. You could, but you know, but I'd probably it, would, be it would be disingenuous. Ooh, nice one. Look at it. I know. I saw saw your face as you were saying that word. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And I I was practicing in in my brain before I let the words out. I'm learning. You nailed it. I did. I mean, you put it right in conversation. I would, if we hadn't been on the show. I know it's on, it's on tape. I know. (laughs) It's on tape. (laughs) Somewhere in the basement of a building, there's a little troll who's Yes. One of those two, he's got one of those double cassette decks so that he can make copies of it for his friends. He's going to make, yeah. going to make a, he's going to make a playlist of our best, our best moments of the show on his little two cassette deck in his basement. Yeah. That's funny. So right, I just described my childhood. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cycle yeah, this circles back. To get back to something <laughs> reasonable. I, yeah. And I'm like going, how do we connect this back to, you know, sense making? How do yeah. we do this? Yeah. yeah. Well, what we do is we say like, yeah, I mean, these are the, these are the challenges of being a teacher educator, right? Is, is, yeah. is thinking about all this stuff on, on at least two levels simultaneously um, and really arguably three levels. So what are the practices students have to engage in? What do teachers have to do to create an environment where, where students engage in those practices in a, in a way that feels natural and part of what, what class is about rather than some, list of laundry list of activities they're supposed to be doing. And then the the hard one for us is how do we te- as teacher educators create environments where teachers, whether those are pre-service or in-service teachers, can develop the skills and practices they need to be able to do that with kids. So that so that those three levels of of education are something that teacher educators have to think about all the time. We can't think about just what's happening in classrooms because that's not enough for us. We have to be thinking about all these different levels. And that, that makes teacher professional development, you know, difficult, really hard. And, but cool. Yeah. That's why that's, I think right. I'll speak for myself. It's one of the reasons I left teaching is because 
I really like the challenges of thinking about how to learn to teach. Yeah, I do too. And I think the, the other thing that, that gets thrown in there is like talking about like the why, you know, like yep. why the, 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 what's the learning theory behind this? What's the, yep. you know, I mean, that's the part that I always get jazzed by is, you know, cause it's not just, you know, doing things and saying, Hey, here's, here's what you do. Okay. Let's practice doing that thing. Okay. But it's like, okay, the, this is the reason why we're doing it this way. And these are the, all the learning theory that goes behind it, you know, so we could talk about like things like John Dewey and other things. Right. Um, because, because that's the stuff that I, I, you know, spent a lot of time myself thinking about That's where I, you know, and when I've taught methods classes and it's been a few semesters since I've taught a methods class, I, I, I've been teaching a lot of assessment and technology stuff the last couple semesters, but I would almost, when I was working with pre-service teachers i'd almost be like okay you're gonna put on your student cap now i'm you know to like really be very deliberate with what point of view they were taking um okay so right now you're going to be a student experiencing this thing Mm -hmm. so this is like your students in my science classroom these are the things you're experiencing and then uh, then transitioning. Okay, we're going to take off that student cap and I want you to be put on your teacher cap for a second. And okay, now let's talk about that. Let's talk about the things we were doing, the discourse moves we were, I was making and why did I ask this question or why did I do this? Just to kind of, you know, and then unpack the learning that's happening behind that. And it's almost, you need to be that, you know, deliberate with it, you know, and intentional. Yeah. No, um, I think it it's it's really important. And I think that's, that goes back to this idea of the relationship between the phenomenon and the label for the phenomenon, right? So, so just unpacking what you were doing is important work, but the reason you're unpacking is so that you develop a concept that you can then attach a name to. Because when you have a concept that you can attach a name to, that's powerful. When, when the concept doesn't mean anything to you and you attach a name to it, that's unhelpful because now you've just got this, you know, we've talked about this sort of word salad, right? Like I know what photosynthesis yeah. is because I can name the definition. But if you have an idea of like, oh, there's this process that trees go through to produce energy for themselves, food, um, then and then you say, oh, by the way, that thing that you understand is called photosynthesis. So that's shorthand for something you already understand. That's a very different world that we live in for that person, right? And they now really understand this thing. And then they have a label for it. And they can use that label in a powerful way. And I think the same is true with what we're trying to do with teachers. We're trying to help them develop a concept of what this looks like um, and then help them develop language to describe it so that they can do it because it is harder to do if you don't have language. We were, I mean, this reminds me of a paper that I'm working on with, um, with Craig Ray, who's a postdoc on uh, here at Penn state with me. And he's, it's a really interesting paper about how, how to help support novice teachers in doing this complex work with kids. And, um, and one of the things is that it, it's often the case that it's hard to learn this stuff because you don't have language for what you're trying to accomplish. And so developing that language. So, so for example, it's easy to say, well, you know, there's pressing, there's probing, there's revoicing, there's these sort of ways that teachers talk to kids to push on their ideas. But, but all of that is done with some larger purpose in mind. And if you can't name and, and focus on what that purpose is, then all of those little 
individual instances of talk that you're doing with kids become very functional in the moment and aren't building these larger structures that you're trying to get organized. So, so, um, and, and those larger structures is what we think of as, you know, the scientific method, like the, the, the norms of what a science community has as its foundation. That's what you're trying to get to. And, and you're trying to get to it through the way that you talk with kids on an, on an individual basis, but building towards that without knowing where you're going is really hard. Yeah. I, th- I think the other part that, that I think we need to spend a little time talking about is, you know, addressing the fact that, you know, the current practices, the ones that you and I, and we talked, we've, I think early on, we talked about like how we got here as, as physics people, as science people, as science educators and all that, mm-hmm. like our history with that is that we were very successful in an environment in which that it played to our strengths. Sure. But that environment is not working for a lot of students. And, yep. and, I, and most of the teachers we're going to be working with are going to be people who this was an environment where they could be successful. Right. By definition, and, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Because they were the, the ones who were able to, to navigate the, you know, the hurdles and all the, you know, yeah. and memorize all the taxonomies and all the other things. And because and they're so, now, they're now science teachers. And the only way they get there is if they can be good at this traditional way of doing it. Right. And we have to address that elephant in the room, you know, and this is, comes back to the thing we talked about in last episode is about equity. You know, this is, you know, these are practices to support more equitable learning environments for our students so that science can be something that more people participate in. And this is, I think, one of those themes of the show is how do we do that? How do Mm -hmm. we do that? And, and I think that is going to be one of the things that as we work on this professional development, that we're going to have to address like straight on, like in the beginning and say, okay, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing, the traditional science teaching that is, you know, just giving them this canonical knowledge, you know, canonical concepts. And here it is, learn it, you know, practice the, you know, physics problems. Here's 20 different momentum problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that works for some, that works for some of, you know, yeah, but, not all. but it, but it worked and it works for the same kids historically that it's always worked for. Right. And it doesn't work historically for the same kids that it doesn't work for. And that in and of itself is inequitable. Right. Because but I, I would, I would also argue yeah. like, what does it mean to work? Like, cause it, yeah. it works sure. that they can like, you know, do those problems. They can, uh, you know, go off and, you know, name off the, you know, the, the taxonomies or whatever, but when put in a situation where they have to make a scientific explanation, it falls apart. Right. But the, the, the counterpoint to that is when we say it works, it means that they are successful in a social sense, right? They, are, they graduate high school. They get good yeah. grades. They go on to college. They get good grades. They go on to get jobs that pay them more than the people who can't do this. So in that sense, even if they don't have the explanatory power or whatever that we want them to have, their ability to memorize this stuff and and succeed in school does actually work. And it works in that way, right? It makes them, it makes them successful. And I, I was originally going to put air quotes around that, but it, there's no air quotes around that. Like if, if you graduate high school 
top of your class, that gets you something, not just the top of the class. It gets you access to more things, including more money, more resources, more everything, right? So when, when kids are not successful in school, it's not just that they can't explain science well. It's that they don't have access to things in society that people who are successful in school do have access to. And that is fundamentally the equity issue, right? I mean, is that our, our schools can reinforce this uh, difference between kids by choosing one group of kids to be successful and another group to be unsuccessful. And I use that language specifically. We, our schools choose those kids by the way they're designed. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, figuring to take it back up to teachers, like how do we help teachers recognize that too? And, and I do think we're in a much better place on that in in lots of ways. I mean, you and I know right now the NSTA has a thing about sense-making and, and they have this little diagram and right in the middle of the diagram is equity. So when NSTA has a thing about sense-making where equity is in the center, we're in a much different place than we were 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I was a teacher. That was not the way NSTA thought about science teaching. No. Was that equity is at the center, right? So I think we're, you know, we have a lot more scholarship, as you said, that that gives us a foundation for understanding why these NGSS like changes are important, not just for science, but also for society and equity. Um, but we also have a reorientation. Uh, to some degree in the way that the world, or at least Americans, think about equity and, and justice. And that, that shift has, has been good in that, in that we don't only have to make a pedagogical argument. Now we can make both a pedagogical and an equity argument for why these, why these changes in pedagogy are important. So do you anticipate some pushback from that side of things. Like I, I think we're going to get pushback pedagogic pedagogy side. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get, I, I anticipate that. I anticipate that sure. we're going to get, um, you know, cause we're going to have some folks who are going to maybe dig in their heels a little bit who are like, you know, I've done this for 20 years. It works. Yeah. And, but then, you know, when we start to get into the, the equity side of things, I wonder, not necessarily, I, I'm not anticipating, you know, out and out people who are like anti-equity, right? I, I'm not anticipating that. Um, but I do think that there may be some folks who go, well, I think my, my classroom is already in an equitable space, right? And my practices, because if in order to say, I'm going to do this, you have to confront that the thing that you're already doing is inequitable, right? And that's a hard thing for some people to say is that, hey, I think that the practice I currently engage in are not creating equal opportunities for the students in my classroom. Yep. And that is, that is going to be hard for some people to, to, yeah. And I, because it's, it's not by, it's not by maybe any known bias or prejudice or anything. It's just because of tradition the tradition yeah, of the system is set up that way yes and <clears throat> so but I, right and i i think that th- i worry that some folks are going to get on their heels a little bit and and put up a little bit of a a, a wall they're going to armor up sure and well nobody likes to think that they're contributing to racism 
right? Right. It's a, it's a deeply uncomfortable thought to say, I, as a white person, am actually contributing to racism in this country, even, even if all I'm doing is being a really good science teacher, yeah. right? That, 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 you know, and, you know, I was just thinking about like, would it be, wouldn't it be interesting if you're doing a professional development with a group of science teachers to say, okay, what I want you to bring with you when you come to the first PD day is I want you to bring me, bring along the demographic data for your different levels in, in your system, um, in your school, your tracked levels, right? So every school I've ever seen says we don't track, but here's the different levels, right? Yeah. There's the accelerated there or whatever you call it. Honors. The honors. College sometimes, prep. sometimes there's accelerated and honors, and then there's just standard, normal, whatever. And then there's always some level below that that's basic or whatever they call it. They euphemize, euphemize, euphemize. I don't know what the word is. Wow. They make I, a euphemism. No, yeah. I, I, I stepped all over it. So, um, they, they create some euphemism like, uh, oh, it's the bonus biology class. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's the remedial biology class. And that, why don't you just call it that? But to say, okay, bring in your demographic information on those courses and tell me how many yeah. black kids are in the remedial class, how many black kids are in the accelerated class. Right. Um, and then, or have it stratified based on on poverty or like socioeconomic status. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, yeah. you, you know, w- w- you know, it w- I uh, my home district is is n- not particularly diverse in from a, uh, a racial standpoint, but is um, very diverse in terms of socioeconomic status. You look at the students that are in those you know, lower level, and I'm saying that in air quotes um, classes. I mean, they're coming from like specific areas of our community because those are the places where we have, you know, trailer parks. So those are where we have more transitional housing and things. Um, And, and that's, that should show that there's something wrong with the system. Right. Right. Well, that's the question. Then you have to ask them is, so do you think it's a coincidence? Do you think it's an, it, it just, or do you think that in, in the example I gave, do you just think black people are inferior? And that's why, they are in the remedial class and not in the accelerated class. Like, is that what you think? And of course they don't think that. And they don't, yeah. and, and even if they do think that they don't want to say it out loud in a meeting, but I think fewer people think it. <clears throat> um, but, but what's the other alternative conclusion, right? Like if you're, if you aren't going to say that the reason that these folks are in, in this, that are, they're stratified the way that they are is because of their identity, then you have to say the system's doing something to sort them that way. And that's when it gets really uncomfortable because you have to say, well, I'm part of that system. I'm, I'm the middle school teacher who recommended who's in the accelerated track and who's in the, who's in the basic track. Right. And and so on and so forth. And there's all these little micro decisions that get made. I'm the one who sent that kid down to the office and not that kid. And as a result, that first kid has, um, you know, a, a much higher likelihood to have not only difficulty in school, but to interact with the law enforcement community either during or yeah. after school, uh, school time. So, you know, those little micro choices where we think, oh, well, we're not, we're not making a choice based on race, um, Turns out it, it it doesn't matter on some level whether you think you're making that choice based on race. The net result is that there are racial differences, and um, and yeah, I think I think human beings in general push back against that 
that notion, right? So you're absolutely going to get pushback against, look, this isn't my fault. I don't, I don't choose to only have, have, you know, affluent white kids in the accelerated part of my, of our physics program. It's just the way it is. And it's like, and then they say, it's just the way society works. And it's like, well, okay. So is that, then do we all just give up and say, yeah, "Yeah." oh, that's too bad. That's just the way society is. I guess we'll just motor along that way. Um, Yeah. So I think you're right. I think in in any PD where you're talking about changes in practice and considerations of equity, you're going to get pushback on both. I think we start by playing the Avenue Q song, Everybody's a Little Racist. (laughs) That (laughs) really lightens up the room. Right, yeah. it does. And we're just going to start with the premise that everybody in the room is racist, and we're going to go from there. Happy days. Have you ever seen that musical? Do you know what I'm talking I, about? I, I have not you? seen the whole musical, but I know oh. that song. Oh, my gosh. I saw it uh, locally um, in you know, central Pennsylvania, a pretty conservative area, and it was, it was at the Hershey Theater, which you know there are lots of people who have season tickets to whatever comes, and there was a whole group of people in front of us who laughed at, you know, intermission. They just were up and yeah. they were like, Can't what, do that. Did, what did we just come to see? You know? And I was, yeah, it was awesome. It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that'd probably be a pretty good place to, for us to transition <laughs> I, to Joyce. Yes. I just totally, you know, sabotaged that. Conversation. Oh, that was good. Sorry. That was a good transition. Yeah. So uh, Avenue Q. So so you sh- so is that your joy? Probably not. No, Let's, actually no. No. give us give us your joy for the week. So I you know, we talk and this made me think about it when we were talking um about taping, you know, when I joked, hey, we yeah. put it on tape. There is a Radio Lab series that came out uh, a couple of months ago, maybe about a month or so ago, but I just finished it recently, uh called Mixtape. And mm-hmm. it's a five episode um sort of series of, you know, connected stories that were all around cassette tapes and the, and the power of cassette tapes, not only, uh, you know, from a musical standpoint, but also from like a, a historical standpoint, like when we, we went to reel to reel and it is awesome. And so if you're, even if you're not like maybe a music person, um, you have to listen to it because it's so fascinating, like how, because they were talking about, you know, cassette tapes were the earliest, ways of storing data for computer programming right i mean because back in the trs 80 days you know you know this and i know this remember this and then you know you know sharing tapes because that's where we recorded um programs and and that's an episode that just talks about that and how you know the earliest days on um they shared programs via the radio so they would say okay we're going to start and we're going to, and they would transmit it through the radio so that you would record it and then you could put it into, it's like fascinating. And I know it's, it's kind of nerdy. Some of it's a, a nerdy, but also some of it is just like wild. Like there's one episode about Bing Crosby, who was one of the first people to actually record a radio show and then put it on at another time. Because before that, all the other radio shows were live, recorded live. And he just was like, wanted to spend more time with his family. So it just talks about it from a historical standpoint. And it's just fascinating. I think the one episode, if, the, if you want to, like, I think the first episode, yeah, it is, is the decal. Okay. And it talks about how, you know, they, the music industry just made millions of cassettes. And then when they didn't sell, they would just put them in, you know, the trash. And when they would recite, like, actually they'd try to recycle them. And where does recycled trash go? 
to China. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so what they would do is they'd slice these cassettes. And so people started realizing that, hey, there's this, like, all of this music that's sitting in, you know, the dumpsters. Yeah, a landfill somewhere. A landfill. And so these people would collect them and try to restore them and then sell them. But all of these cassettes were, like, hitting the market as kind of like bootlegs in China, which was really protective of the music industry. But they were, like, all these bad, like, these, it was it's fascinating. It's fascinating, especially when it, they, all of this is being released, not in time historically, like they were getting Nirvana and Elvis Presley at all sure. at the same time. Yeah. So it's not like the B the Elvis Presley yeah. comes before the Beatles comes before this comes with this. It's like, they were getting all of this music at the same time yeah. out of any, out of any historical context. It's awesome. Wow. So definitely all check right. that out. Mixtape radio lab, especially for a music buff like you, that must've been really nice. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Nice. So I'm, uh, I am going to say a thing that's bringing me joy right now, um, comes from a, a, a guy that I know from podcasts, first, first tech podcasts. And now, um, I don't even know what you call his podcast now, but they're sort of like two guys talking podcasts, I guess. I, <laughs> but, I know, I know a podcast like that. Yeah. Yeah. His are even, even more unfocused than ours though, but, uh, wow. Yeah. But his name is Merlin Mann, and he's probably best known for <clears throat> coining the term inbox zero, which then metastasized into a bunch of things that he didn't intend, which we've also talked about on this program, how you can, once you name something, then people get to reinterpret it in their own way in ways that maybe you didn't like. But, um, but his new project is called The Wisdom Project, and it's on GitHub um, because he's sort of a nerd, but, um, and I'll put a link to the show notes in it, but but it's just a long bulleted list of um, of his wisdom, and I, and this is based on uh, Kevin Kelly, who's a who is an editor at Wired and sort of a famous tech nerd guy. Whenever he hits a milestone birthday, I think I think it's only milestone birthdays, but he puts out a list of wisdom. Um, and so he did one for I think was his 60th birthday it was most recent, and and those are great too. Um, but this is just, you know, it's, and they cover all sorts of stuff. Um, so, you know, I'll just read a couple here, you know, it's often easier not to be terrible. Say hello to every dog. (laughs) Always wave at women on trains. Uh, almost every task in life benefits from an, from the addition of a nearby trash bag. So, oh, I'm a big believer of that one. See, like, I mean, and you may not agree with all of them. They're as as Merlin would say, these may not all be for you, but um, but some of them are for you, and it's and they're just great to read. And and you don't have to. I mean, it's a long document. He's divided it up sort of into sections, but it's not super clearly organized in that respect. I don't think that's the purpose. I think it's, um. But they're they're great and and uh, I highly recommend it. So if you you know and they're the kind of thing that you can just have up and every once in a while you look through and you read a couple and you're you're like, huh, that's a good one. I like that yeah. one. And then you add it to your own repertoire of wisdom that you're going to pass down. But uh, but anyway, that's the thing that's been bringing me joy this week. I'm a big believer of having a trash bag in your car. Yeah. Like if you just have like a little grocery bag and put it in your car. It makes because there's there's like I have very few like 
big pet peeves, yeah. but one is like a dirty car. Uh, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Well, one of his things about that, that I think is fascinating is he's got his office set up and he says, I have a trash can wherever my hand is whenever I want to throw trash away. So if I'm sitting at my desk and I, I move my hand to throw a piece of trash away and there isn't a garbage can there, then I put a garbage can there because that, that, uh, so he must have a lot of garbage cans in his office, but I wow. think it's an interesting idea to sort of organize. I, I think it's more of a metaphor than an actual, maybe it's an actual practice and he has 15 different garbage cans in his, in his office. But that idea of like, you know, uh, things should be where you intuitively think they should be because right. then they'll be there when you want them. You know, it's like, where's the, you know, where's the, the duct tape? Well, where would I think the duct tape is? And if you go to that place and that's where the duct tape is, great. If that's not where the duct tape is, then find the duct tape and put it where the you right. thought it was yeah. going to be because that's how you organize your life. Well, that's that like story, you know, somebody built a house or bought, built a, uh, a building on campus. I think that's what it is. And they didn't put sidewalks. And they talked to the architects, like, where are the sidewalks? And we're like, we're going to see where people walk. And that's oh, where yeah. we're going to put the sidewalks, you know? And that's where we have on campus is they've, they, there's all these trails that people have, and they've gone by and actually put sidewalks there. And it's like, that's brilliant. Like when, when you see that people are taking the shortcut through this, mm-hmm. then that tells you that there should be a sidewalk there. Yes. You know? There's a name for that. I can't remember the name, but that's, a, that's, that's exactly the same principle. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, 73 in the books. In Look the at books. that. And no yeah. mention of 73. Why would I mention 73? I, there's, I can't. No, there's no reason no, to. There's nothing special about 73 at, at all. all. Nothing. That you could figure out with division. There's no, no. nothing at all. Not, not, not at all. No. It, it, I, so, maybe I'll Google 73. See if yeah, there's why don't you special. Google 73? See if you get anything. And in the meantime, I'll effort that. I'll effort you'll, that. you'll effort that for next time. And, yes. uh, and, and that, that will be the next episode of science in between. We'll, we'll see you then. We'll see you then. Bye now. Bye now.